Hey, good morning, Community Alliance Church. Thank you. Nine o'clock service. I'm impressed. Hey, my name is Joe Flores. I serve here at Community Alliance Church as the pastor of operations, which means most of the time I get to do a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. But this morning, I really consider it a privilege to have the chance to come and open God's word with you and to learn a little bit about what he wants to say to our hearts. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, in your bulletin, one of the eight slips of paper you may have noticed is bright green. It is a little sermon outline. It also has the passage that we're going to be studying today on it, so you can have that. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible or if, uh, if you just want to make it easier on yourself, it'll be there. And I, I want to get us started this morning with where we're going uh, by asking you a question. So here's my question. Have you ever had that moment in your life when your significant other or your best friend or a family member found you doing something and their first reaction was, have you done gone and lost your mind? Like where they're like, you know, I've been seeing the signs for a while, but it finally happened. My wife had that moment with me shortly after we bought our first house about five or six years ago. She walks out the front door, sees me out in the front yard, down on my hands and knees in the grass with a spoon from her kitchen drawer in one hand and a plastic Ziploc bag in the other hand, and I am digging dirt out of the ground with the spoon and putting it in the bag. Now, okay, before you think that's weird, um, I have a very good reason for doing that. Let me explain. We just moved into our, our first house, as I said, and suddenly, now that I was a homeowner, I went from not, not caring at all what our grass looked like, I wanted to astroturf the lawn so that I'd never have to mow it again, to all of a sudden, now that it was my lawn, I wanted to grow a beautiful green lawn full of wonderful grass. Had a problem, though. I knew nothing about how to grow a beautiful lawn. So I did what I do. I researched it. And wouldn't you know that, lo and behold, this is a true story, Family Man Magazine, June 2012 edition says on page 45, if you want to have a great lawn, the first thing you need to have is good soil. And do you know the first step in having good soil is to find out the condition of your current soil. And to do that, you have to do what's called a soil test. And a soil test involves getting teaspoon-sized samples of dirt from your lawn and sending it off in a plastic bag to Penn State Agricultural Department, and they'll send you back in an analysis of your soil. So in light of that, why wouldn't I be in the front yard digging with the same silverware that we eat with? <laughs> Made perfect sense to me, too. For those of you who have eaten food in our house, I really want to just say, we don't, we don't have that spoon anymore. <laughs> See, what I learned was, is that if you want to have a great lawn... You've got to have good soil, because a great lawn won't grow great without good soil. This morning in Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells to teach a similar principle about our spiritual lives. He's going to tell this story that teaches a principle about our response to the message of Jesus and the result in our lives. Now, if you've been coming to church for very long, you've probably heard our response and the result in our lives to the message of Jesus described in a number of different ways. Maybe your spiritual journey or your relationship with Christ or your walk with God, the Christian life. And those are all good. 
But this morning, I'm going to use a specific word to describe our response to Jesus and the result in our lives, and that's the word faith. Faith. Because as we're going to see in the story that Jesus tells, people can have a wide range of responses to the message of Christ, all the way from on one end of the spectrum where there's zero faith, where people hear the message of Jesus and they say, that is not for me, I don't believe it, it's not going to be a part of my life, all the way to the other side of the spectrum where people hear the message of Jesus and God gets a hold of their heart in sort of an unbelievable, you'd only have to see it to believe it kind of way. And what we're going to see that Jesus teaches here in Luke chapter 8 is that just as, just as you have to have the right conditions in your soil to grow a great lawn, if you want to have great faith, you have to have the right conditions in your heart. Because this is the big idea we're going to look at today. Great faith only grows great in a good heart. Great faith only grows great in a good heart. And so if you want to have great, life-changing faith in your life, you need to know what's going on in your heart. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to start out in verse 4 this morning. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And the author writes there, verse 4, While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. In Luke chapter 8, it's still pretty early on in Jesus' ministry. And he was very, very popular. He was, teaching, he was teaching the Jewish scriptures in a way that people had never before heard them teach. He, 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 was, he was opening God's word and, and he was explaining things from these passages that people had heard over and over again in their lives. But they were seeing new things they never saw before. And on top of that, Jesus was doing miracles. In fact, if you have your Bible, you might even look back. Uh, one chapter, Luke 7, it says that Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. He was bringing people literally from the dead back to life. And so he became very, very popular. But what we have to realize is at this point in Jesus' ministry, people really didn't know yet who he was. They knew he was special. They knew he was different. But they didn't exactly know who he was or what he would mean for their lives. And so Jesus would tell them stories and he would teach things. Because while they didn't yet know exactly who he was, if there was one thing the first century Palestinians knew about, it was farming. Because they lived in an agricultural society where if they didn't grow things and raise things, they wouldn't survive. So Luke 8.4 tells us that Jesus tells the people a parable. And a parable is simply a story in which Jesus will make a, a connection between what people already know about something on earth with what he, something he wants them to know about things in heaven or their spiritual lives. So look at this story that Jesus tells. In verse 5, he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. You can think of a farmer sowing seed by hand and, and grabbing the seed and throwing it with a casting motion. This obviously wouldn't be a very accurate process. So in verse 6, it wasn't surprising that Jesus, or verse 5, Jesus said, it wouldn't be surprising that he said, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. You can think of, of Palestinian countryside and people growing fields, and fields were kind of a little bit everywhere. And people had to walk everywhere that they needed to go. So in the course of walking, people would come to fields, and they didn't wear Fitbits. They weren't really worried about getting their steps in. So they would just take shortcuts straight across the field. Before too long, a hard path where shortcuts had been taken over and over again would develop. 
And so as the farmer's throwing his seed, some of the seed would fall on this really hard path, and it would be easy for birds to just swoop down and take it. Continuing on in verse 6, he says, some fell on rocky ground. Growing up in western PA, you think of rocky ground as trying to dig in the dirt and coming upon rock after rock and trying to pull those out. But the people in Palestine would have thought of something different. In Palestine, it's well known that there are a lot of places where there's a thin layer of soil on the top. And just underneath it, maybe six inches down, is solid bedrock. And so the people would have understood when Jesus said that when the seed came up in verse 6, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Saying the rock would make the dirt warm, so the plants would start to grow quickly, but the roots couldn't get very deep because they would be stopped by the rock and there would be no moisture for them. Jesus would continue on in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, or some translations, maybe the one you have, says thorny weeds, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And I can just imagine the people who are sitting there hearing Jesus teach this on a hot day and they've walked far. They're probably thinking to themselves, Jesus, come on. We didn't come all the way out here and walk all this distance to learn about forming 101 from a carpenter. My grandfather taught me this when I was five. Anyone who's ever planted anything knows that weeds are a problem. Jesus gets to his point in verse 8. He says, Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop. And then Jesus says something that those of us who are 21st century Americans who buy our food at Aldi's and Giant Eagle probably miss. But no first century listener would have missed this. He says in the rest of verse 8, it yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And at that moment, the listeners, their ears would have parked up and they say, wait, did you say a hundred times more than what was sown? Let me give you a little analogy that might help us connect with the surprise or the impact that Jesus' plot twist would have had on his listeners. Let's suppose I was up here and I told you a story about a woman. Uh, let's say that this woman goes out one evening for a night on the town with her friends. They go to a nice restaurant and have dinner, and then they spend some time hanging out afterwards. And at the end of the night, she goes back to her house or her apartment and gets ready for bed. And just before going to bed, she decides that she's going to post a few pictures and a comment from their evening on Facebook. So far, this is the most boring story that you've ever heard. This happens all the time. But what if I told you that in the morning when she woke up and checked her Facebook page, that her post from the night before had 5 million likes? Now, some of you are probably wondering, what's a like? Just ask someone around you that's under 35. But for the rest of us, your first response is, who is this woman, and what did she post? And for Jesus' listeners that day, their first response was, who is this farmer, and what did he plant? Because a hundred times return, well, that's impossible. I mean, five's normal, ten's really good. I've heard about people getting 20 before, but a hundred times? That would take a miracle. I mean, could you imagine a hundred times? That would be life-changing. Like, think of all the crop that we would have. We would not only be able to feed ourselves and to save up some for later, but we would be able to sell the rest. And with the money that we would earn from that, well, it would change our lives. Imagine tomorrow if someone came to your house and said, we found a, a new natural resource in your backyard, and we're going to pay you 20 times your annual salary just for the rights to drill it one day. We'll pay you that every year. 
How would that change your life? And what Jesus is saying here is that there's a crop, there's a seed that could be planted in the good soil that will change your life. And the people naturally would have wanted to know, what's this seed? Because it's life-changing and we want it. And what's this good soil you're talking about? Because whatever we have to do to make our soil like that, we're willing to do because it could change our life. Now, what if I told you that Jesus told this story about seeds and plants and crops, but he wasn't actually really talking about farming? You may have figured that out by now as well. His disciples sure did. If you look down in verse 9, Luke writes that his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And in the rest of our time together in Luke 11 through 15, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what Jesus meant by this parable because he will explain it to him. But before we do, I just want to mention something. There is a difference. There's a difference between knowing what Jesus meant for us to know and then doing what Jesus meant for us to do. Sometimes when you read parables in the Bible, it's kind of fun to figure out what they represent. But Jesus didn't teach them to us for our entertainment. He didn't teach them to us to dispense information to us. Jesus used parables to teach to inspire transformation. And so as we look at the meaning of this parable, I want to ask you to ask yourself a question. As we look at the different soils, would you ask yourself this question? Which soil is my heart like? Which soil is my heart like? Because if we want to have a faith like Jesus talks about, we have to take a look inside our heart and find out what's going on there. Because only in the right heart will great faith grow. And as Jesus is going to teach, great faith only grows great in a good heart. So which soil represents your heart? He starts out in verse, verse 11. Verse 11, he says this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Or in other words, the seed is the message of Jesus Christ. In John, Jesus says, I am the word. The seed is the message of Jesus Christ and the transformation or the change that it can make in your life. Jesus says in verse 12 that those along the path, those along that hard path where the seed falls and birds come and take it away because they can't penetrate the ground, those are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. You know people like this. In fact, people who are like this would admit that they're like this. They would say, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I don't have Christ in my life. I don't claim to be a Christian. In fact, up to this point, I haven't wanted to be a Christian. Jesus is talking about those with a closed heart. A closed heart. And the closed heart says, faith will not impact me. Faith will not impact me. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say, I am so glad you're here. And I want to be really upfront with you about what my goal is for you. I have, a, I have a simple goal. My goal is if, if today through coming and hearing this message from Christ, if your posture could simply change from faith will not impact me to faith has not impacted me. You might ask, what's the difference? Let me explain it with a little story. When I met my wife, we were dating early on and, and we were somewhere where hot dogs were being served. I don't know if it was a bonfire or a cookout or what, but, but I was trying to be a good boyfriend and, and, and so I offered to get her a hot dog to which she replied, I don't eat hot dogs. I was curious, so I asked, like, 
Do you not like the taste? Did you watch a documentary about how they're made? Did you, like, are you a vegetarian? This might not work. <laughs> she said, I don't, I don't eat hot dogs because I've never had a hot dog. That didn't make any sense. Like, how could you not eat hot dogs because you've never had a hot dog? So, of course, I asked now. And she said, Earthobait. She said, one time I read the ingredients on a package of hot dogs, and it says that hot dogs have an ingredient in them called Earthobait. I was like, what is Earthobait? Like, does it cause cancer? And she said, I have no idea what it is, but it sounds a lot like earthworm, so I'm not taking my chances. <laughs> That's a true story. Rather than trying hot dogs, she decided, she determined that they weren't for her. And some folks, without even trying faith, they determine it's not for them. Because the heart that says, faith will not impact me, says, it is not ever going to make a difference in my life. But the heart that says, faith has not impacted me, says, you know what, I'm really honest about the past. It hasn't, hasn't been a part of my life. But I will be open to a different future. And if you're the person who says, faith will not impact me, my question is, will you be open to it? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to tie out all the loose ends. Will you be open to God working in your life? Will you explore? Will you ask hard questions? Will you seek answers? Will you journey on the path where God may take you? Great faith will never grow in your heart. It will never grow in your life if your heart is close to it. Next in verse 13, Jesus continues on. He talks to those on the rocky ground. Those whose, who, whose heart is like, is like the soil that's very thin above a solid rock where the seed springs up quickly but then dies because the roots can't get the moisture. And he says those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. These are those who, who have faith until things get hard, and their faith doesn't work the way that they expect it to. Jesus is speaking to those with a shallow heart. And the shallow heart says this. The shallow heart says that faith will prevent problems in my life. The shallow heart says if I have faith... My life is going to be good. And Jesus is saying, and the rest of Scripture says to us, that faith is not to prevent problems in our life. Faith will help us persevere through problems in our lives. For some here this morning, you're wrestling, you're grappling with this because you're going through deep waters. So let me say this again. Because if you can grasp this one idea, this one idea may be the thing that keeps you from walking away from your faith. And so let me say it again. Faith will not prevent problems in your life, but faith will help you persevere through problems in your life. Let me explain it like this. A few weeks ago at our house, our TV, we were having trouble hearing it. So I went to one of the, the big box stores and I bought a sound bar. A sound bar is simply like an audio speaker you can connect to your television to help you hear it better. And I wasn't sure how it was going to work. So do you know why, why I bought it where I did? I didn't know if it was going to be a good fix for us, so I bought it at a store that had a generous return policy. 
Don't judge me. You know you do it too. Everybody does this. In fact, this is what, this is what they say on their website. I don't know if the guys have it. Merchandise purchased in our store or online can be returned or exchanged within 90 days of purchase with or without a receipt. What this store is saying is, okay, you can come try this product out. And if you like it, great, you can keep it. But if you don't like it, we will allow you to bring it back because it didn't work as you expected it to work. And this is how some of us live our lives with our faith. We will keep it as long as it, ex- as it works how we expect it to work. You might come to a great church like this and, and you think, man, Pastor Danny's such a good preacher. I could listen to him talk week after week. And the music, my goodness, it's so good. I keep on hearing these songs I listen to on Christian radio and I love it. My kids are so happy in kids ministry. No struggle at all to get them to come to church because they love it. The people are so friendly. There's so much going on. And you have this experience like you've never had before. But then inevitably, life happens because life or faith doesn't make you life-proof. Someone you care about gets sick or passes away. You lose a relationship. You lose a job. You don't get into the college that you were hoping to get into. Someone that you really look up to lets you down. And some point along the way, you have a conversation with God that goes something like this. I put my faith in you and then you let this happen. How could you let me down? And before you can listen to God's response, you hand him back your faith and you hand him back your receipt and you walk away because your faith didn't work how you expected it to work. And if you had only stayed a little bit longer, God would have been able to say back to you, it's not that faith will prevent problems in your life, but faith helps you persevere through problems in your life. He would say back to you, just as faith won't prevent problems in your life, Walking away from your faith won't fix your problems either. Pastor Denny's been preaching through James. This is what he said last week. James chapter 1, verse 2. I don't know if we can put it on the screen. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be complete and mature, not lacking anything. James teaches the same thing that Jesus does, and he says, it is in the trials of our lives that we learn what our faith is made of, and more importantly, it's in the trials of our lives that God makes our faith what he wants it to be. In the rocky soil, Jesus is talking to those who walk away from their faith when life is too difficult. In the next soil, we see Jesus talking to those who walk away from their faith when life gets a little bit too good. Verse 14, he says, The seed that fell among the thorns, or the thorny weed, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. Worries, riches, and pleasures. Jesus is talking to those who have a distracted heart. And he's saying that the distracted heart will say, that faith is a priority in my life. The distracted heart says, hey, faith's important. I mean, I come to church whenever I can, whenever I don't have, have to do this, or whenever it's not nice weather out and I can't go fishing, or whenever we don't have a game. 
It's a priority. When I have time, I'll be there. And he's saying that the good heart says that faith is the priority in my life. The distracted heart says that faith is a priority, but the good heart says faith is the priority in my life. I have an iPhone. If you just got the iPhone update, you may have noticed a new feature on your phone. It's called Do Not Disturb While Driving. With this new feature on my phone enabled, my phone will, will not allow text or phone call alerts to come through to me while it senses that I am driving on the road. It's a part of an attempt to help me from being distracted while I'm operating a car. Because did you know that in 2015 alone, 3,500 people were killed by what's being labeled as distracted driving? Distracted driving is whenever a driver gets in the car and turns it on and begins going down the road as though focusing safely on the road is the most important thing that he or she can do. But somewhere along the way, that driver decides that checking their cell phone or fixing their makeup in the mirror or unwrapping a cheeseburger is also important. And safely driving their car goes from being the most important thing to being just another important thing. The distracted driver says that safely driving is important, is important, but so is checking my email or answering a text message. The distracted heart says that my faith is important, but so are a number of other things. And could you be, like, could you be this person in Luke chapter 8, 14, where you started out in your faith and you were so focused, like God had touched your life in a way that you never experienced before, and you were so focused, but then as Jesus says, you went on your way, and you've been distracted driving through life. Maybe to the point where somewhere along the way, your car ran off, to, or off the ditch into a giant patch of thorny weeds, and you either haven't realized it yet, or you haven't been willing to get out. So what are the weeds in your life? What are the weeds in your life? Do you know why weeds are dangerous to plants? It's not that the weed itself is bad. The problem is that the weed grows alongside the plant and competes for the same resources that that healthy plant needs to survive. And as the weed grows bigger and bigger and bigger beside the plant, it takes more and more of those resources away until at some point the plant withers up and dies. In your life, what are the weeds that if you let them go out of control, pretty soon they will outcompete your faith for the resources in your life, for your time, for your money, for your energy? I don't know what your weeds are. That's a conversation to have with God to, to get before him and ask him for his help in discovering those. I just want to give you a couple of questions. If you want to write them down, you can. They're pretty simple. If you get before God and pray through these questions, I think he will help you to discover what the weeds in your life are. First question is this. What worries you? What worries you? When you wake up at 3 in the morning, what's on your mind? What bothers you? Next question is kind of similar. What stresses you out? What stresses you out? What, when it happens, you get stressed?
What do you spend your money on? Or if you had more money, what would you want to spend it on? What do you daydream about? If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you use it to do? Finally, what do you look forward to? What do you look forward to? If you don't deal with the weeds in your life, they're going to choke out your faith. Now finally in verse 15, Jesus gets to the last kind of soil, the good soil, and he says this. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a what? A good heart. Because great faith only grows great in a good heart. Who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, what's this crop he's talking about? We could think of it as as sort of like plants that everyone can see, but what he's actually talking about is your heart. So the crop isn't something that's produced by you. The crop is something that's produced in you. It's this great faith that grows in your heart. This great faith, this life transformation that's only explainable by God. I think great faith kind of looks like the love that the Good Samaritan had. It's not very difficult to love those who are like us and those that we like. But great faith leads to a love for people who are different than us. People that annoy us. People that offend us. It's a love like that. Great faith leads to an unexplainable generosity in your life. Like the woman in Mark 12, who even though she had only two coins left, she believed that those two coins in the hands of God could change the life of others, so she gave them up. She was generous to the point of poverty because she trusted that God would provide. Great faith brings a joy in our lives like James was talking about in James 1, verse 2 and 3. This joy that doesn't become extinguished in the face of trials, but somehow miraculously is strengthened in the face of difficulties. I think great faith also brings in our lives a peace, a peace that, as Philippians 4, 7 says, passes understanding. So that when people look at us going through difficulties in our lives, they say, how do you have so much peace? It just doesn't make any sense. If I was in your shoes, I would be falling apart. And you're like, you're right, it doesn't make any sense can only be explained by God. God's just giving me peace. I think great faith leads us to a point where we can pray like Jesus prayed in Luke 22, where he says, not my will, Father, but your will. Great life-changing faith doesn't just make us a good person. It makes us a transformed by God person. And I don't know about you, but this is the faith that I want. I want God to transform my life. I don't want to just be good. I want to be changed by Jesus. And Jesus is saying that if I want this kind of faith, and if you want this kind of faith, then you have to have a good heart because great faith only grows great in a good heart. So what is the good heart? Certainly it's a heart that doesn't have the negative qualities of the first three soils. It's not hard. It's not shallow. It's not distracted. But a good heart is more than that. A good heart is a heart 
that God has changed. Just like the good soil can't become good unless the farmer changes it. I mean, you don't have to be a farmer or a gardener to know that soil doesn't become better on itself, by itself. You've, you've never been digging in the ground outside and hit a rock, and that rock just said, oh, am I in your way? Well, excuse me, I'm sorry. Let me just hop up out of there so that uh, you can keep on digging. I've never driven out of my driveway in the morning and noticed weeds over my landscaping, only to come back at the end of the day and pull in, and those weeds and just help me out by hopping out and putting themselves in a pile so I could throw them away. Good soil doesn't become good unless the farmer changes it, and good hearts don't become good unless God changes them. God has to work in our heart. We're not able to do it on our own. This isn't a go-try-harder go sermon. This is a be willing to allow God to change your heart because only he can do it sermon. So let me close just by asking you a couple questions. What in your heart would be the first thing that comes to mind that God needs to change for it to become good. Not that you need to change, but that you need to allow God to change in your heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you felt that, hey, I, this, this faith stuff, I really never considered it. I got tricked into coming to church here this morning. I heard they had free coffee and I was thirsty or whatever brought you here. Would you be open? Would you be open to it? Would you ask questions? Would you seriously consider it? God can't change your heart unless you're open to receiving his word. Maybe you've been shallow, and i got to believe there are people here this morning. You were just like clinging to your faith by a thread. You've been going through such deep waters. Maybe, maybe people around you know, maybe no one knows, but you know the pain and the suffering that you're in and what you're going through, and you're just thinking, man, this faith just doesn't work. I'm ready to give it back and try something else. Hear the message of James. Hear the message of Jesus. Faith will not prevent problems in your life, but when you're going through problems, Scripture is true. And it clearly tells you that when you're going through those trials in your life, that is a time when God, in a way that he may never have done before, will be able to shape your heart and shape your faith and take you to depths of love and trust and peace in him that you've never experienced before. So don't give up on your faith. Hold on. Draw closer to God. Maybe you've been distracted. And you know, like, whenever you say, okay, what bothers me? What do I want to spend my money on? What are those questions? You know that big distraction in your life. Maybe it's not even something bad. Maybe it's not pornography or addiction or greed or something else. Maybe it's something good that you've just let get out of control. If God were to reach down into your heart and pull out the biggest weed, what would it be? And what are you willing to do to allow him to do that? Finally, maybe you're here this morning and you would say, hey, you know, like, God has brought me on an incredible journey. I feel like he's helped me through the process of removing distractions, through the process of trials and difficulties, going deep in my faith. I feel like he's grown this great faith in me. I say praise God for that. Here's my challenge to you. Are you spreading that faith to those around you? Because here's what I know. People who are distracted and people who are suffering with a shallow heart and people who are, have a closed heart, they need examples of great faith to look to in their lives. Don't keep your faith hidden. Let your faith show to others. Not in a proud, boastful way, but in a way that says, God did this for me. I didn't deserve this. 
God can do this for you too. Use your faith to spread faith to other people. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we just thank you so much for your word. Jesus uses the simplest stories to teach the most profound truths. He can take a three-minute story and teach something that takes a lifetime to live out. God, I pray that you'll speak to each heart here this morning. Let them see what soil they represent and let them know, God, what is that next step that you have for them? God, what, what would this church like? What would this town be looking like? What would, what would happen if we all strive for that good heart that produces a life-changing, great faith crop? God, I pray that you'll give us, give us the desire for that. God, I pray that you'll work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you all for being here this morning. I want to let you know Pastor Denny will be back next, next week. He's going to be continuing on in James, talking about wisdom, what it is, and how you can get it. So I don't know about you, but I certainly could use as much wisdom in my life as I can get. So I'm not going to miss it. I would encourage you not to miss it either. Have a great week.